this morning, as we come to this passage and think about it, I thought it was interesting that we did Great is Thy Faithfulness. It didn't really hit me until just later, but you know that in Scripture when this it says great is thy faithfulness, it's in the context of lamentations. It's a lament. It's in the context of, of, of great struggle in Israel. And yet there's this, in the middle of all of the, the lament is this thing of great is thy faithfulness. And I think there's an element to that this morning as you look at this text that we're studying if you've been going along with us, you know that before Jesus had had revealed that he was going to suffer, right? And and that, that part of what's kind of un, before even that, Peter had said, You are the Christ, and then Jesus said, I'm going to suffer. And then we get to this moment in this transfiguration, and you see who Jesus is in, in a glorified form. You see the grandeur of him. And and I think part of that should be somewhat even in that as we sing that song, great is thy faithfulness, we recognize that even in the midst of often difficulties in this present world, we know that there's a faithful God who will return and the Christ will come. And so I hope this morning as we look at this together, you'll be able to put this together in your mind so that as you face the darkness of these days often and the troubles of this present age, that you would be able to look to the heavens and see there is a Christ. He does reign and He is coming to us, He will return. He is the King and He will reign forevermore. And so, as we start this morning, I want you to think about that in light of this. Now listen, we've said this a number of times, but two things to note about Jesus' ministry. And, and I, I think it's really helpful because the prophets speak of this. One is this, He came to suffer and die for His people. And the second one is, and this is what Jesus would tell them over and over, He will return as reigning King. Just continually kind of put that before your mind as we begin this morning. And as you do this morning, I hope that in your mind, you'll be able to sit there and just think for a moment, as those disciples did, as they're walking up on that mount with Jesus, to see Him as He was. Not as what they thought He might be, but to see Him in a glorified state. I hope that will be good for you this morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I um, go to a funeral and I see some dear loved one of my own or of someone else's, when you sit there, there is a longing for life beyond. People think about that. This year, some of you even have come to that place where you've seen someone and their body is there and you, you think, man, there's so much of this world, maybe that person had had cancer or had struggled in some way, and you think, man, this this suffering is so great around me. Maybe some of you have had friends who someone had sinned against them so greatly, or maybe they had a boss that just treated them horribly, and you think, Lord, we need relief. Lord, give us, give us a vision of something greater than this present world. Sometimes we see multitude of things, but in the midst of that, we need to be constantly be pressed to think about Jesus and who He is in His fullness. So look at verse 1 this morning as we do. In verse 1 it says, And after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John His brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. As He leads them up on this mountain, it kind of reminds you that, that really throughout Matthew, and we've discussed this on, on, on a number of occasions, but, but the mountains are important in Matthew. 
Because something radical is going to take place as He moves up on the mountain. Here, He's going to disclose Himself in a great way to us this morning. You're going to see later in the ascension, and and really as Jesus gives this great commission, it's up on a mountain. Over and over, we see that taking place. Now, why these three men? These three men will actually be with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they will be called upon to pray. And, And they're going to be called upon to pray for the Lord, and you'll see them sleeping here. In Luke, this same passage, ultimately, when Luke talks about this, it says they had fell asleep. They kind of went up to pray and they fall asleep again. But ultimately, Jesus had chosen these three men. Distinct from the rest of the disciples, He chose them to, to, to relay this message to them this morning. And so you see His grace to them in this moment. In verse 2, it says, and He was transfigured before them. Now, here's what happens. They go up and evidently they're to pray and so they, they fall asleep. And when they wake up, they see Jesus transfigured before them. Now, when you think about that, you think maybe when you were a kid, uh, some of you here, some of you have never heard of them, but the Transformers, and you hear about this, they look one way and then they're turned into something else and it's radically different shape. Maybe you've watched that movie or whatever. But, but I think it's important just to note here when you think about being transfigured, Figured, the idea is to change in form. Jesus changes in a form. Now, when we talk about, some of us were studying Romans recently, and it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is speaking more to you changing in your character. Jesus is not changing in His character. In the essence of who Jesus is, it's there. But Jesus transforms before them, and He looks different, radically different. And so as we see this, notice it says, and He was transfigured before them. Now listen, what had happened? When Jesus walked around the earth, people were like, they just saw Him. And they thought, well, that's, He's just a regular man. He's walking through this life. And they, see, they knew He had a great way of saying things and He spoke with wisdom. They knew He had power and authority, but He looked like a normal person. He, was like, he looked like a normal 30-plus year old man. And He's going through life. But here in this moment, Jesus is revealing Himself in a radical way. Now notice what it says here. And His face shone like the sun. Have you ever, when you think about that, His face shining like the sun, does it make you think of anything? Uh, Maybe in the Scripture before that you've read? I'll give you a couple of ideas. One is, when Moses would get into the presence of God, It says when he walked back down from the mountain, they they had to put a veil over his face because this this amazing like glow came from Moses because he had been with God. Now, when we see Jesus here and we see this, it's not because he's been with God, it's because he is God. You see the glory of God in him displayed. His clothes became white as light. Jesus is very distinct here. When they see him, they say he is radically different than they'd ever seen him before. Now I want you to turn to Revelation because I want you to to be thinking about how this all relates together. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And I want you to start in verse 9 with me. And as we look at this text, I think it's important to note, you're going to see John is giving us the revelation of Christ. Now notice what it says. By the way, it's not plural, it's singular. The revelation of Christ. Now, I, John your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, 
What's happening there? What's He saying? My identification with Jesus has brought me to this place. He's displaying there because of the suffering that I'm in. I'm in a, a place of suffering. I've been exiled. That's what He's revealing. So John, because of the testimony of Jesus, has been exiled. Verse 12. Now listen. He is sitting there in this exiled state, suffering for Christ. And then in verse 12 we note this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of one of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the, and the living one. I died and behold, I live forevermore. And I have the, king, the keys of death and Hades. Now, you capture that just for a moment. When you think about that, you go from the, the transfiguration and then you kind of you read this and you see now John is seeing the resurrected Christ in all of His glory. John is getting a vision of who Jesus is. Now, that's important, I think, to note, to, to read that. I wanted you to see that because you see the glory of the risen Christ there. And I think the transfiguration is kind of the, it's setting you up for this resurrected Christ. Christ is not going to be defeated. He says, I'm going to suffer, but I will rise again. And so in this moment, the disciples see Christ in all of His glory. Now, the people ever get Revelation confused and they talk about this and that and what's going on in Revelation. I think this is speaking to this and this is speaking to that. But at the end of the day, when you read Revelation, you are reading it as one who is enduring this present world, awaiting the age to come. In one sense, you're already there, but you're awaiting its coming. You are crying out, Oh Lord, come. Revelation ends, Come Lord Jesus, come. And Jesus is revealing in Revelation that at the end, He is going to deal with those who reject Him and He is going to set up His kingdom for His people. And I think it's just important that you note that because it's built in that context. Now look at verse 3. Turn back to Matthew. We're going to go back there. And I want you to just see what's taking place here. So Jesus reveals Himself as, the, as, as this glorious King that, and it displays in, in amazing ways who Jesus is in this moment. And then verse 3, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Him. Now, when you think Moses and Elijah, what, what are they doing? Why, why did they show up on the scenes? You might ask that. You'd be like, well, are these, why, why are they there? And so he's sitting there seeing, they're looking at the resurrected Christ, and then what comes up? Moses and Elijah. Now, who is Moses? Well, if you go back and read your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, who put all that together? Moses. Who wrote the law? Moses. Who received all this revelation from God about how the people of God should live and act and walk? Moses. Who helped them understand how to set up the sacrificial system? Moses. All of that. Moses is, is really, the law is embodied in Moses. 
So that when Moses came down from the mount, he told them, Thus saith the Lord. Second person that's there, Elijah. He was like the preeminent prophet. Elijah was the one who really, you remember the chariot of fire that came and picked up Elijah. Elijah did many miraculous things and powerful things. But what were the prophets all about? The prophets would come over and say, listen to you people. Y'all, y'all want to hear something? This, you know what the law of God says? You know how you've rebelled against the law of God? And they would say, look, God is going to judge you. Do you understand that? You can't keep walking away from God. He will judge you. And while at the same time, in the midst of that judgment that He pronounces upon them, they come behind with this message of hope. And they say, God is judging you in the present, but God's going to rescue you in the future. So they're constantly showing you that you deserve judgment, but yet God is going to rescue a people for Himself, a remnant that will be transformed by His glorious power. The law and the prophets are like two people speaking the same message. And they are saying, in one sense, another aspect of this is they are saying God is going to send one who can fully, fully live what I've commanded and who will die in your place and who will restore you. And so I think it's important that you see that. Now, how do we understand that? Now, Jesus, just think with me just for a moment. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. Jesus perfectly interpreted the law. Jesus took the demands of the law upon Himself in death what was brought to Jesus. Jesus in the Scripture is presented as the, the, is, the one that Israel was supposed to be. Jesus is presented as the Passover Lamb. All of that is found in the law. Jesus is presented as the scapegoat. Jesus is presented as the true tabernacle and the true temple. The presence of God is seen in Jesus. So when the law comes, when Moses comes, you see in that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. You think about the prophets in the same way as you think about all along the way when the prophets are speaking of the Son of Man and the suffering servant and they're speaking of the Messiah that's to come. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. All the law and the prophets are are bound up in, in one message and Jesus fulfills it. Jesus is the answer to that. Jesus is the one whom they are they find find their fulfillment their voice has spoken and Jesus is the one who fulfills every bit of it. So I think it's important that you note that when you think through there's a very deep message coming out of their appearance. So Peter's sitting there. And what's he thinking? I heard some discussion over here today they were talking about it cuz You think, what does Peter say? Notice what he says here. Peter is sitting there and watching this take place. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. I mean, he's affirming what Jesus has done here. You know, it's kind of interesting. It's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, why did he do that? What was he thinking? we don't. Well, there's not a lot of explanation, but evidently there, there's some element, maybe, and I heard someone kind of say this, an element of hospitality. I'll set up a place for you here. 
It may have been an element for him to be reminded this is the place where Moses and Elijah showed up and Jesus was in this amazing transfigured form. And let's mark this place. Maybe he wanted to stay there for a while and be able to to, to be with them, to be in, in, in the presence of them. We don't exactly know. But in the middle of that, this is amazing because it sounds like Peter, he doesn't really know what to say and then he says something. And then while he's speaking, another voice shows up that silences Peter. And just kind of, you'll note this as we see, it's the Father's voice. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. This isn't the first time we've seen this. In Matthew chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, we saw the witness of the Father and He said, this is My beloved Son. And we saw the Son being faithful all the way through. The Father again speaks, this is My beloved Son. He is the faithful Son. He is the Son that's on mission for Me. He is the obedient Son. This is My beloved Son. Listen to him. Now, interesting. It's interesting because Jesus has been talking to his disciples and he's been unpacking things for them and helping them see step by step by step. And he says, Listen to him. Now, what were the things they needed to listen to? You could think about a few things. You might write some of these down. As the completer of the law in life and death, listen to him. He is the one that's fulfilled all of these things. As the last and greatest of God's messengers, Hebrews says that that He is the exact representation of His nature. When you saw Him, you saw the embodiment of God. Listen to Him. As the suffering Savior, Peter, be quiet. Stop stepping up and saying Jesus doesn't need to be crucified. He came to be the suffering servant. Listen to Him. Stop standing up with some message and saying Jesus... I don't think this is right. I think you're confused. Listen to Him. As the final judge of all of humanity, you better listen to Him. He will return. Now, as we kind of move through all of that taking place, when the disciples heard this, how did they respond? When they heard this voice thundering above them, how did they respond? They fell on their faces in fear. Let me ask you something. When you hear God's Word, when you really hear it, are you constantly making up ways that you can reject what God says? When God makes a pronouncement, there is fear that strikes their heart to where they are on their faces saying they're silent. They think honestly, as you think about in Deuteronomy, and just listen to this, that when the words of the Lord spoke before the assembly of the people at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and He added, no more. And he wrote them on two tablets. That's what Moses did. But, but this came down in power. When God spoke, it meant something. The people actually asked Moses, please, 
Don't let the Lord speak to us anymore. You go hear it, and then you tell it to us. We may die if we are in the presence of God speaking His Word to us. Is that how you think of God's declarations? Is that how you respond to what God says? When God centers you in the Son and says, this is My Son in whom I'm well pleased, you listen to Him. Everything He says, you listen to Him. What He demands, you follow Him. Is that, pattern, is that the pattern of your life? Is that really the pattern? Listen to me. If you don't have time to spend with the Lord listening to His Word, if you are not learning His Word, it is not something that you are listening to. Do you understand that? You have time to, to get ready on Sunday mornings. You have time to keep your house clean. You have time to make your business excel. But you do not have time to listen to the Almighty God. What is that? What, what is that? Is that? Is that really the way we respond? When God speaks, they fell down as dead men. They were afraid to lift up their heads. They were in the presence of holy. And Jesus is holy. And His demands and God's demands, they, they, they should cause you to set up and listen and seek to walk in and apply. And in all of this, we, we must think clearly about what He is doing. Verse 7, But Jesus came and touched them saying, Rise and have no fear. Now listen to me. Often in Scripture, you see this is, this is the way it comes. God will, will bring to us a clear understanding of who He is. God will, will bring these men to this place. And yet, with John later in Revelation and here, in the midst of that, Jesus comes to comfort them. To come to them and bring comfort in the midst of fear. There is an element to when you are in the presence of God, when you are before His Word, there's two things coming at you. One is you are absolutely undone and you think, woe is me, for God is holy. And yet at the other side, as you see, is comforting grace coming to you, saying, be at peace. Do not fear. I am with you. It's that balance between holy awe and the loving care of our God. So as you continue forward, they lift up their eyes and they see no one but Jesus only. It's in a sense, I think, that the message of the law and the prophets have now found their fulfillment. They are, they are in a sense passing away and what's coming forward to you is the Christ, the embodiment of it all. Now, just listen to this from Second Peter. Peter never forgot this moment. Just listen, because it's just a powerful thing. And when he sees in verse 16 his majesty, as he was an eyewitness, he says, For when we received honor, for when he received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. It was as if Peter would be an example to go and proclaim this message throughout the ends of the earth. Verse 9. So we're going to spend a little less time here but because I wanted you to really think about what's taking place there. And then we're going to pick up some of these themes throughout the rest of Matthew. But notice in verse 9, 
And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. They had already, some had already been trying to make Jesus a king. You see, the way of man is for Jesus not to go to the cross. The way of Satan was for Jesus not to go to the cross. The way of Peter was for Jesus not to go to the cross. The way of the crowds was for Jesus not to go to the cross. But here, Jesus says, listen, you're going to reveal this vision one day, but not yet. I'm first going to go to the cross. So you note in verse 10, the disciples ask Him, and it's interesting, I think, what are the disciples? Why do they even have any more questions? And yet they ask this question, and why do the scribes say, first, Elijah must come? And in the context of this, He says, Elijah has already come. And they killed him and they will kill me. Over and over, Jesus is bringing that to their minds. The time has not come for you to see me in all my glory. I must suffer first. It is true of the disciple on this earth. It's true for you. It is true for you. Your promises are not for just the present. God may bless you in some ways in the present, but this is not your place of blessing. This is not the place where you want to stay. This is not the place where you say, Lord, make it all the best it can be now. In one sense, we do hope for that. But in another, we know the story. And the story is, as you walk with Christ, as you pursue His way, as you invest in His kingdom, as you seek to honor Him in all of your life, trouble's coming. Trouble is coming. It is difficult in this day. It is difficult to walk with the Lord. It brings shame. It brings, it brings um, often, uh, uh, some, some ways, you will, you will not be able to go as far in this present world as you seek the kingdom of God. And there's so many things that can come. So many students, I, I worked for eight years with, with students and I watched them over and over and over again. When the pressures of this present age came upon them, it, it, they, they really didn't really grasp it. So often, they, they, they just thought, well, I'll try to do the best I can in this life, and they just didn't see. It is trouble comes as you pursue the things of God in the present. Yet Jesus promises you a future. So why the transfiguration? It's to build faith. It's to build faith in the disciples as they face their looming death. It is to build faith over and over and over again. It's to grant understanding so that they could see the whole picture. So that they might see more fully what God is all about and what He is accomplishing both in the present and in the future. Listen to this, and I want you to just hear it because I think it's a really valuable thing to see. Because I want you to see Jesus clearly. One writer said this, in His highest exaltation to speak of His sufferings, when His head shone with glory to tell Him how He must bleed with thorns, when His face shone like the sun to tell Him it must be spit upon, when His garments glistened with a celestial brightness to tell Him that He must be stripped and divided, when He had seen when he was seen between two saints, to tell him he must be seen between two criminals. 
over and over again. You must think clearly. Jesus suffered and died for His people. He is the suffering King, but not anymore. He is not that anymore. He is the resurrected King. And we as the church, we pray, oh God, come now. Come quickly. Jesus is going to return to set up His kingdom and forever and ever He will be with us. Let's just think one last little thing here to apply. What do we do with this? I think for me personally, seeing the resurrection this week reminds me of a number of things. I mean, sorry, seeing the transfiguration reminds me of the resurrection and it reminds me of a number of things for me. Now listen to what the Scripture tells us. We know that Jesus defeated all of our enemies. We know that the, that the resurrection and, and the transfiguration sees He is powerful and has all authority over all things. We see also that we have been empowered by the Spirit because Jesus lives and He is resurrected, so shall we. We see that we have the newness of life. We see that we have been raised up to a newness of life. He really is in a glorified state with the Father today and so are we. It's a reminder that we live in the present. Battling this present age, but that He will return for us. So what's most important for your family? Sometimes around Christmas, we think, if I just had a little bit more money, I I could just give my kids all these things. Sometimes around this time of year, you you think of tons of different things about family. And some parents may be thinking, well, if if I can just give my kids the best education, if I can take them on the greatest activities, that will be, man, that will be great. But this last week I was reminded of what I hope Christ Community Church will be. And I was thinking about it because I heard about a story of one of our young men praying in community group this last week. And he's, he's sitting there praying and he's saying, Lord, thank You that You created everything. Thank You that You've done this and done that. Thank You, Lord, that You defeat all the bad guys. And I, when I was listening to that, somebody, they were saying, well, I don't know what he meant by that. But listen, ultimately, what I need to hear over and over, is Lord, as I seek to live for You, as I'm struggling in the present, as I'm enduring the difficulties that come with identifying myself with the cross, thank You, Lord, that You are going to destroy all evil, all sin. Separate us. You will separate us from sin and death and suffering forever. Lord, thank You for defeating all my enemies. That's what we long for. That's why we need to see the transfiguration. And that's why this morning as we come to the table that we find our hope in Him. He is not just dead. He died for us, but He also rose again. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You that Jesus didn't choose to bypass the cross. We know He was eternally God. He would never do that. But to to know that He came and suffered and died for us. 
blows us away. We also thank You that He was vindicated. That You raised Him from the dead and because He lives, because He is King, because He has been glorified, because He is eternally with You and He reigns forever, so shall we. And we praise You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen.